0: So uh, this morning, I've entitled my sermon, uh, Where Do You Come From? It was a bit of a struggle for me to figure out my sermon title. Some people title things, sometimes they don't. <clears throat> I struggle with a particular title, I'm like, that's just not going to work right, and, and so I, I ended up coming up with that, but yet when I wrote out my sermon, uh, I titled it, Who Is Your Father, right? So I got my title on my sermon different than what's on the liturgy as to where you come from, but... Essentially, it's the exact same thing. Who's your father? And where do you come from? Right. So imagine, if you would, Stonewall Jackson. Show of hands of any, everybody who knows or at least familiar with the man, General Stonewall Jackson. Okay. Imagine, if you would, he's leading this charge of some of the most loyal men. They loved him. <clears throat> he's re- leading them into the Battle of Bull Run. And this is where he gets his famous nickname from, Stonewall, because he was unmovable didn't matter what came at him he wouldn't move he'd charge out into the battlefield as if he knew there no bullet was ever going to touch him and he said if it does then it's the will of god i can i can die in my bed just as easily as i can die in the battlefield so imagine this if you would this great general that has been revered in american history he then goes on to lead the troops in shenandoah valley uh, in virginia which we know it's not really even an important state Um, So he goes on, and he leads these men into battle. He gets shot in the arm. His arm then has to be amputated, and he still doesn't die. He doesn't die from amputated arm going into battle. These are just two battles that I've mentioned, the Battle of Bull Run and uh, Chancellorville. There were many battles, many skirmishes that he went into, and he didn't die from bullet. He didn't die from swordplay. He ended up dying from pneumonia. Great man, a great hero. Today, we see so many advertisements as we scroll through Facebook, as we see uh, television commercials about discovering your lineage, right? So imagine if Stonewall was your great-grandfather. What an amazing thing that would be a badge of honor, right? You might even hold your head a little bit higher, because Stonewall is your your granddad's dad. Right? That would come into play as as you walk through life. When you have conversation with people, it would come into conversation. Yeah, well Stonewall is my granddad. <laughs> right? Now, some people care about this, not everybody. But imagine if you would the badge of honor that you would wear if you had someone that prominent in your history. And this is why we are baroted with advertisements for 23andMe and Ancestry.com. People want to know about their history. They want to know where they come from. They're hoping that they have something great like Stonewall Jackson in their, in their lineage. For some of us, it doesn't matter at all, right? So these websites go after our innate desire to want to belong to something larger. Even there was a time that when I was younger... I started doing some ancestry digging as well and found that there were two knights in my history, uh, Knights of the Order of uh, St. John of Jerusalem, also known as the, the Knights of Malta. Great history there. These men name-dropped uh, were foises as well, and uh, I just thought it was just the coolest thing. I thought maybe I'm going to teach my kids the the chivalrous code of the knight, right? And, and then they're going to walk around, and they're going to have some... Uh, shiny badge of honor that their great-great-great-great-grandfathers were uh, knights, noblemen, defending the sick at hospitals so that when anybody came by, uh, they would, uh, in in battle, if they hurt someone and wounded them, that they had to go to the hospital, these knights would protect the hospital so that no one could come and finish the job. So that was their job. They defended Jerusalem. So I thought, what an amazing thing. Now, it's done absolutely nothing for me. I have these really neat guys in my history, even if it was Stonewall Jackson, it does nothing for me. If my great-grandfather was General George Washington, it does nothing for me. It might make a couple of people in my surroundings when I talk to them go, ooh, that's so neat. You're related to a neat guy. But it does really nothing for me in the grand scheme of things, and it certainly doesn't do anything for me in the grand scheme of the heavenly and spiritual things. Amen? Amen. Not all of us care. I realize that. I care. I enjoy that. I like that. But you may go, who cares? Today's today. Uh, What do I care if my great-grandfather was whoever? Or my great-grandmother is the one who made the first flag for the United States. Like, it it just doesn't matter to you, right? And it's okay. It doesn't have to. You don't have to be uh, an ancestry geek. But some do care about it. But it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of life where you come from, or who your Father is. So, if you could stand with me as we read the Scripture this morning from John chapter 8. May the Lord bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts. In John chapter 8, starting verse 39, they, being the Jews, that, let me bring this in context here, we're still in a Feast of Booths. Remember, I mean, every week we segment our sermons Uh, But you got to remember that this, just minutes before what Jesus is saying here, he had just stopped the men from stoning the woman who was caught in adultery. Just minutes before, he forgave her sin. Right after that, Jews believed in him, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you have to abide in me. If anyone comes to the Father, you're going to come through me, and I am the light of the world that lights every man. So many sermons can go on, but keeping in context, this is all squished into just a few minutes of conversation with Jesus and these men in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. So they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not What Abraham did. You're not doing the works of your father. They said to him, we were not born of. No, I said, you are doing the works of your father. And they said, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord. But he sent me. Why do you not understand what I have said to you? Is it because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth found in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth, but you do not believe me. Whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. The Jews answered him, We are not, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, and truly I say to you, that if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and as did the prophets, and yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the, and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, and of him you say, he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him, and if you say that you uh, that I do not know him, you would be a liar. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say this, to you that before Abraham was I am. So then they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So there's a lot going on here, right? Remember, you got to remember, we got to keep in context. I understand that week after week we we have sermon and it's a little it's something same, but a little different because we're in the same book and we're going through this exegetically. Remember when he's speaking to these men, these are the men who believed in Jesus after he said, let the first one who is without sin cast the first stone. These are the same men. Now they want to kill him. All right. You remember the last time I spoke to you, I told you that these men were converted. I said that the Jews that believed in him asked him, and he said, "If you abide in me, then you abide in the truth." So these men right here, moments before this conversation, believed in Jesus. They were new converts. We talked about being a new convert doesn't make you an educated convert. it makes you new. They still had a road of sanctification to go, but Jesus puts them to a test and sees just exactly how new or actual are they actually converts. He knew he needed them to understand. So why the Pharisees and these Jews were so concerned with being a part of Abraham? Right? You remember I said, if we were a part of Stonewall's history, we'd have some pride in that. Abraham was the father of the Jewish faithful people. And they took it very serious that they were of pure bloodline from Abraham. And Jesus didn't deny that. He said, I know that you are. I know that you are from Abraham but you don't do the things that Abraham did. You do the things of your father, the devil. These Jews did the exact same thing as we do today in wanting to understand and wanting to notate our lineage. You don't find people today saying, I deserve to have something greater because I am of a certain lineage. Even if you were from Stonewall, you know nobody's going to go and ask for a free coffee because you're Stonewall's grandson. Now, if you go down south in Virginia, and it just so happens that there's a coffee shop named Stonewall, and you could tell them the story that you're related, you might get a free coffee, but you're not going to go around asking at Dunkin' Donuts in Columbus for free coffee because you're related to someone who has some greatness in the history. But that's what these men were doing. They said, we are of Abraham. As if Abraham was the Messiah. It doesn't matter if you're from Abraham, Jesus says. and He proves to them you're really not from Abraham. But it wouldn't matter even if Abraham was the Messiah and they were a pure bloodline. That would only give them street cred that wouldn't get them into heaven. So Jesus is dealing with a spiritual thing here, not with who do they get to rub elbows with because of their lineage. We see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, that the promise of the seed, meaning the Messiah, was given to Abraham. And this is why Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced at the promise. But still, it wasn't what was going to get these men into heaven. So these were the same men just a short time ago in the conversation. They were new converts, but they didn't understand. They were still clinging to old ways and, under, and old understandings. And this is why they stepped out into the prideful area of saying, well, because Abraham's our father and now we believe in you, well, we're like doubly insured that we get heaven. We are secured. We have, not only did we write the letter of confirmation, we now have the sealed wax emblem of the king upon it because we are children of Abraham. Signed, sealed, delivered, we're good to go. Jesus addresses this and says, you're not. You're not children of Abraham, and you're not good to go. When in the course of personal evangelism, when you talk with people, we'll have what's called a paradigm shift. You're having good conversation, and then you start to get the pushback. And in that pushback, you have to push back. You don't have to be a jerk, but you have to state the truth. And this is where a lot, of, a lot of Christians just bow out and go, oh, well, okay, yeah, I guess that's how you see that. It's okay to say, hey, we agree to disagree. This is how I see this. The Bible tells me that if you're not born again, you will not go to heaven. Just because you've given to charity doesn't mean you're going to heaven. And you can disagree with that all you want. But this is what I believe, and I believe it's coming from the Bible, and the Bible is true. And then they can spout whatever they want. But oftentimes we just recluse and go, okay, I don't want the confrontation. I don't want the friction. Let me just kowtow and say, "Uh uh-huh, okay, yeah, hey, good job. Yeah, keep up the good work. And then try to segue away from that conversation in hopes that we don't get any further friction. Friction's good. Friction refines you. Friction enlarges your borders. It gives you a sense of uh, honor when you have friction for the right reasons. When you are defending God and His Scripture, you will have that sense that you have done well and your Father in Heaven is excited about that. This was a test for these particular converts. Excuse me. This test was for these men to see that they are not who they're claiming to be just because where they claim to come from. Amen. So when somebody becomes a new believer, how do we determine someone has actually been born again? It's a big question, right? We don't want to judge anyone's experience with Christ. We don't want to judge whether they're going to heaven or not. But how do we determine if somebody is truly a disciple of Christ? Well, Jesus says you have to abide in me. Remember last week's sermon? Well, the week before. You have to abide in me. So if someone isn't abiding in Christ and they say, oh, I believe Jesus. You know, I believe he's, he is God. Okay. Are you abiding in him? Are you steadfastly loving and devoted to what he has to say? How he says we are to conduct our lives. So there are earmarks of Christians. The Bible says that they knew that they were Christians, and they first called them Christians because of their love for one another, they were Christ-like. Think back in ancient times, it's very different than it is today. There wasn't a whole lot of free love going around. I don't mean free love like hippie era. I just mean people didn't show love like love is shown today. It was a shocker to them that these people who were also Before they were called Christians, they were called the people of the way. These people of the way were showing love to one another, and they cared about each other, and they cared about the goings-on of their neighbor. And this is part of our liturgy, that we don't want to do harm to our neighbor. We want our neighbor to be successful. We want our neighbors to be profitable. And we want to do anything we can to help them and pray for them to encourage that. This is something very, very particular Christ-like. You don't find this in Buddhism. You don't find this in Hinduism. You don't find this in... Well, you would find it in, in Muslim. They take care of one another really quite well. But remember, the Muslims are very closely related to the ancient Jews and the way they do things. So it's a, it's a way in which taking community. Jews do very well in community. It's a way of taking community and showing love to one another. But they were very surprised, and they said, these people are like that guy Christ." They show love to one another. So this was the earmark of a Christian during that time. How do we earmark Christians today? Well, there are many ways, right? And we don't get in a list. There isn't a checklist. There isn't a way you can say, okay, he is definitely Christian. You just put your faith and trust that somebody who claims Christianity is actually doing things like Christ. It's not your place to say, no, you're not. You parted your hair different than I do. And I know I'm godly. <laughs> I don't have any here. <laughs> <laughs> Should have wrote that one down or else I would have read that one and said, that's crazy. You do things differently than I do. You've got hair. You're not of God. We know Elijah was bald. And that's godly. Baldness is godliness. You're all sinning right now. Jesus said, if you were born of God, you would know me. You would love me, but rather because you're not, you seek to kill me. And this proves that you are of your father, the devil, because Abraham rejoiced in the fact that the Messiah would come from his lineage, from his seed, his children somewhere down the line would be the Messiah. Now that's something you could, you could wear as a badge of honor. It still doesn't do anything for you, spiritually. But, wow, what a cool thing to say from the lineage, uh, I descend from the family of Mary and Joseph. Well, that'd be kind of neat. I think so. You might not. I think it'd be kind of cool. But again, no free coffee because of that. This statement doesn't, when, when, when Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced in me, And when he saw me, he rejoiced. Doesn't mean that Jesus transported back in time and showed himself to Abraham. Abraham's like, hey, I'm rejoicing. I saw Jesus, the Messiah. No, he's saying that it was the promise that was given to Abraham that he rejoiced in. And he knew that afar off, it was going to become a sure thing because God promised it to him. The Jews went crazy at this point. How can you say this? You're not even 50 years old. So they're thinking of the natural. And maybe when I read that, maybe you thought, did Jesus go back and see Abraham? Well, the Bible says that Abraham saw him and rejoiced. How can that be? Right. So they also got tripped up by that. And they said, how can it be? You're not even 50. There's no way that you could have seen Abraham. There's no way he could have rejoiced over you. The next statement that Jesus says to them caused so much anger in them to the point in which they wanted to pick up stones to kill him. This is a brutal killing. This is not a shot across the field with a sniper rifle and you don't get to barely see their face. This is a face to face bludgeoning from a stone that comes hurling from my hand. This is a brutal way to want to kill someone. And they got to that point because of what he said. Now, remember, where are they going to find these stones? Ironically, they're in the temple still, the court of women where Jesus is addressing on the Feast of Tabernacles. These stones that they're about to pick up are the exact same stones that the men dropped when Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. They're in the temple. The temple floor is made of mosaic tile. They don't just have stones laying around. He's not in the countryside. He's inside a temple, which they revered with great reverence. They wouldn't just have rabble and or rubble and and dirt and they would have swept it. They would have taken good care of the temple. It was a major pivotal point for the Jewish people. That was their prized possession. These stones that they were able to pick up to hurl at Jesus, were readily available because men just prior dropped them when Jesus said, you're not yourself without sin. Here's what he said. He said, he uses the word truly, truly. If you remember, we talked about what that means. It says, with authority, for certain, the statement that I'm saying right now is actual truth and fact. He says, this thing I tell you with authoritative truth by saying, truly, truly, before Abraham even was, I am. What's that supposed to mean? Give me a show of hands of anybody who understands what I am means. Couple. Okay. Okay. There are seven I am's that Jesus said throughout scripture. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those are the seven I am's. If you were to look them up on the internet... What are the I am's that Jesus said this list of seven will be here. But there's actually this eighth one that should be added to the list. But it's very different because he's not just saying I am this thing or I am that thing. In verse 58, it's an I am statement as well. But it should be added to the list because it reveals his true nature and his true deity. In today's culture, society is okay with people believing in God. I believe in God. You believe in God. We believe in God. It's okay. Doesn't matter. Whatever your God is, there's a higher power. You believe in Buddha? Great. You believe in Allah? Wonderful. You believe in any one of the 3,000 gods of Hinduism? Great. We can all believe in God. Where it rubs them so wrong is when you say, Jesus is God. They don't like the name Jesus. Jesus. Because whatever they fashion in their head what Jesus means. They don't like the idea that when we say we believe Jesus is God, that's when they get really violent in protests. That's when they get violent in public. When you say the name Jesus, very specifically, you could walk through your job site, you could walk through your office, I believe in God, went to church on Sunday so we could pray to God. There's no friction at all. You walk through and be like, I love Jesus. Sunday I went to go and worship Jesus. All of a sudden, you become that guy. You're that guy. You're the weird guy. You're the guy that hates us all. He hates everybody because we're not going to church with him. They have these preconceived notions of what Jesus is. And so did these guys as well. Remember, it said they believed in him. How did they believe in Him? Did they believe that He was the Messiah? Did they believe that He was the one true God, the everlasting? Certainly not. They didn't believe that He was that. But when He says this, He checks their understanding. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, after God gave Moses the go-ahead to go back to the people and say, this is when they were in bondage, And Moses was to go and tell the people of Israel that they are to follow him because God has heard their cries and he is going to take them out of bondage and he's going to bring them to the promised land. They already knew about the promised land. They already knew about it. It was a promise that they've been holding on to for 400 years. They weren't sure when it was going to happen, but they knew about it. Now Moses is supposed to go and Moses goes, what am I supposed to go say to them? I was a prince of Egypt. Just the other day, and I'm going to go tell them to follow me out of slavery? How is this even going to be a possible thing, Lord? And God tells them, Tell them, I am sent you. And they will understand that I am is the one who's sending you, and they will know what that means, and they will follow you. And He did. And he went and he said, I am has sent me to you. And they followed. There was a little friction for him, but the children of Israel followed him after that. This is what Jesus was tapping into. It's easier to say, I'm the bread of life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd, right? These are all good things. I can be a good shepherd. For those of you guys who have livestock, you understand how it is to be good to them, to care for them. It's not hard for you to say, I'm a good shepherd. You could even say, I'm the good shepherd, right? You could. When Jesus says, I am, before Abraham was, he's tapping into the Exodus statement where God said, tell them I am sent you. This enraged them. Because what Jesus is telling them, he's saying, I am the one true God of the cosmos and beyond. I am the creator of all things. I am the one who you and your forefathers have been worshiping for centuries. I am the God over the whole earth. They don't like that. But he is just that one. He is the Logos. Logos. He is the one that created all things. The second person of the Trinity, the deity within this man Jesus who could be cut and bleed, but what was inside of his spirit and soul was the deity of the Godhead in one. He is that one. Jesus took these men from believing in him all the way over to wanting to kill him in just a matter of minutes. When in the course of speaking about Jesus To others, you may encounter individuals similar to this. They may not want to take up stones and hurl them at you. But the moment you take a stand for a purely Christian doctrine, be prepared, especially in today's environment. They are going to go woke on you quicker than anything. They're going to give you all of their philosophies that are trash and smell like swill, And they're going to want you to accept them. And when you stand for Christ and what Christ has said in his word and biblical precepts, they're going to hate you. When I was a younger Christian, I remember wondering to myself, why is it that nobody hates me? I must not be doing things right. The Bible says they're going to hate you for my namesake. And it bothered me like everybody likes me. Everybody likes me. I'm a good, likable guy. I meet people and they enjoy talking to me. Why doesn't anybody hate me? I'm doing something wrong. It wasn't so much that I was doing something wrong. This I misunderstood what this was supposed to mean. It wasn't supposed to be walking around and everybody was like, there's that jerk foisy again. My father had that title for himself. <laughs> they were, I just wasn't standing for the things that scripture stood for that were contrary to their lives or I had surrounded myself with people that were all very similar to who I was. I didn't step out and go to the tax collector. I didn't go to the prostitute, the homeless. I stuck around squeaky clean people. Of course they're going to like me. I was squeaky clean. I wore a tie. I like that boy. Just didn't have the understanding. And it messed with my head because I'm... <laughs> I wanted to be hated because that was, to me, an earmark of a real Christian. If they hate you, it's because they hated Jesus first. And today I got plenty of people who hate me, so I'm happy for that. (laughs) So this doesn't mean that you have to stand on a street corner and be a jerk for people to hate you. And you're standing up for scriptural things. Today, especially in our woke society, especially when they're telling you, we're going to let your toddlers be exposed to X, Y, and Z, and you go, over my dead body you are, because this is so unbiblical and so demonic, we are not going down this road, you will then be hated by a group of people. But guess what? It's because they already hate your father. They hate what you stand for. And this isn't for us to go and just smear it in anyone's faces. we can. That isn't, a, that isn't what Jesus did. They came in him and said, oh, well, hey, we're okay, Jesus of Nazareth, because our father is Abraham. And so Jesus addresses this. And then it gets even more heated. How can you say? And then they go right to, well, you, aren't we true in saying you must have a demon in you? So they escalated, and Jesus responded. It wasn't Jesus going out to these men and be like, hey, it's good to meet you today. Thanks for coming out to the almost stoning of this woman. Hey, you're your father, you're the devil. He wasn't a jerk. He didn't go about it like that. He just responded with statements that they put forth. So, in closing, placing your trust in anything other than in the name and the deity of Jesus Christ is worthless salvation, righteousness, and holiness are only found in Christ alone. Without abiding in him, we will not be found in the day of reckoning. We will not be able to be found by him anywhere outside of him. So just as Jesus hid himself in the end, they took up stones to kill him and he hides Wonderful thing that scripture would even put that in there. Just so neat. Like, oh, we're going to kill you. And Jesus hid. <laughs> he just disappears. Not literally, but he just, he's gone. How can nobody know where he is? He's the center of attention of all people watching him and listening to him. There are lots of people at this time listening to him in the, in the court of women during the temple, normal temple proceedings, at the Feast of Tabernacle, where there was estimated over 20,000 people in Jerusalem at this temple feast. How can you just hide? If I can't see you, you can't see me. <laughs> like the kid in the bed when the monster's in there. So how do we apply this, right? It's all great, well, and good. We know, okay, here's the thing. But Most importantly, we want to know, how do we actually apply this to our lives? Nice story. Jesus took a stand for what was right. These men realized that they're not going to get anywhere in heaven because they're of the lineage of Abraham. Nice story for Bible, Bible study. Nice Sunday school story. What do we do with this with our life? What is Scripture saying? We put this into canonized law in the book of John for you to do what with it. Right. You can apply it in different ways. So, how do we apply this to our lives today? The entire chapter 8 is pointing to finding the mercy which is only found in one person in Christ. Not in being religious. Just playing a part of a Christian isn't going to get you into heaven any more than going to McDonald's is going to make you into a hamburger. You can't just show up for church. You can't just let your family be Christian and you not grab a hold of this Christ for yourself. For real, study him. For real, get to know him in prayer. For real, trust him. You can't be Christian any other way. You can grow up in a great family. You're... Father could be a pastor, could be the high potentate of any organization. The most important person in earthly Christendom. If you yourselves don't do it, you got nothing. You got nothing. Nothing. (laughs) You have to abide in him. You have to show your love and devotion to him. And I know this sounds like this is works. But if I love my wife, I show devotion to her by treating her sweetly and not yelling at her and not treating her harshly, not beating her, not cheating on her. This is a love and devotion level of very common basic love. When you love someone, you treat them sweetly. When we love Christ, we ought to get to know who he is. He's just not someone we're married to once a week. We don't just see him on Sunday morning and say, high five, glad you're here for me like a lawyer on retainer. I'll reach out to you when I need you. It is to be a life of devotion where we abide in him. Amen? You can only see heaven by being born again and remaining in him with a life of devotion to his, his, his teachings and trying to make them into your life. I was speaking with a brother yesterday, and we go, what is an earmark of a Christian? Well, someone who is really doing this right is a person who gets their Bible open. And when they see something, they go, is that me? Am I doing that? No, I don't think I am. Am I being merciful? Am I being long-suffering? Am I being patient? Am I being gentle? Am I being loving? I, I have to admit I'm not. Okay, so what are you going to do with that? Well, I am going to pray that God would make that a part of who I am, that he would conform me into the image of his son. And then you take on the image of Christ and therefore you become like Christ and that's when you have the title of Christian because you are like Christ. When you make this thing real and it's a part of your it's a part of your life. I'm not going to go into the pressures placed upon you, make it or every day, give it your 110%. People who do that, they only place a pressure on you that none of us can adhere to. Make Christ a part of your life. If you go through a day and you didn't acknowledge him greatly because you were so busy, you're not a sinner bound for hell. You just need to take that moment and go, no time like the present, to start again. And start your devotion again. Say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, make me into who you want me to be. Let the words that I read in your scripture become a part of my life and who I am so that I can be more like your son and that more people will come to know you because I am more like him. Then you will then become like your father and you will know where you come from. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning that we can come together, Lord, not only to hear the reading of your word, Lord, but to participate in the liturgy. That we have, Lord, to participate in the worship and the fellowship that we get to enjoy as people who do know you. Lord, I know saying that not every single ear in this room that is hearing this is actually in the relationship, Lord, that we as parents would want for our children or as husbands would want for our wives or our wives for our husbands. Lord, not every single person and only you know, Lord. Only you know. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us get there. Every day, Lord, is a struggle to be more like you. Every day is literally one foot in front of the other. And God, I pray that you would give us the strength to do it when it's scary. Give us the strength to do it when it seems impossible. Because being like a man who can walk on water and walk through walls seems impossible to me. But Lord, your scripture says I can be like him as he walked on this earth. Lord, fashion that within me, fashion that within my brothers and sisters this morning. As we partake of communion, Lord, let us remember what Christ did on the cross, not just for the people then, but for us today, and that there is forgiveness offered for the ways in which we have not had loving devotion towards you. Lord, let us, in this moment, when we take of the bread and of the wine, that we would dedicate once again ourselves to the furtherance of your kingdom here on this earth, by being more like Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.